Welcome to the Daily Canon Podcast. Hello again, listener. Welcome to episode 236 of the Daily Canon Weekly Podcast. Stephen Bradley sitting in for Matthew Wade this week, who decided of all weeks that this was a good idea to go to China. So whilst he's sitting in quarantine looking forward to the next five episodes of this podcast, I'm going to sit in and bring you all the happiness and joy from the Arsenal world over the seven, last seven days. Isn't that wonderful, listener? We're going to have a great time today. To join me in the revelry is Paul Williams. Paul, how are you? Yeah, very happy to be here. <sighs> Interesting week, wasn't it? Certainly was. Let's get the good news out of the way for last night at Portsmouth. They weren't bad. Oh, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Um, yeah. What's your impression, first off, of Pablo Mauri, the the centre back? Because he he looked like he was not that it's everything else in terms of building a setup from the back. Just having someone who's actually got a left foot that isn't made of chocolate seems to be quite. Yeah, um, I didn't overly notice him. I must admit. I mean the. Uh, having two side him in one night is quite distracting. Um, but he seemed to be quite solid in everything he did, quite composed. Um, perhaps as I was, we were chatting to someone in the office earlier and just said, well, League One Portsmouth, maybe not the biggest test true, true. for a new signing. But then again, he hasn't played for a while and um, something that Jermaine Jean has probably missed is that a League One side at home to Arsenal are always going to be up for the battle. And we saw in the first half that Portsmouth were really up for it. Um, so I think it probably was a, maybe not a typical introduction to English football, but a good one. Yeah, like if you wanted to show him what happens when an English team runs at you for 90 minutes without any sense of plan or tactics, it's just they're going to run after you, then that game was perfect. That's what Portsmouth did. They're a limited side. They're a decent side, but they're a limited side. And their attempts at defending were run through the middle, make sure Gwen Doozy has no time in the ball, and hope to God that they don't figure out that our fullbacks can't run. And it worked. Yeah. For the first half, anyway. Yeah. And then Arsenal figured out that, oh, wait, Portsmouth fullbacks can't run. Let's give the ball to, to Martinelli and, and Reese Nelson as quickly as possible and just let them torch them. And they did. Yeah, it was. Um, it's always quite interesting watching games um, on the telly as opposed to being at the game and just experiencing it in a pure form. I was getting so cross in the first. I wasn't cross with Arsenal. I was just listening to this commentary that just didn't seem to factor in any of the there are six kids in the Arsenal side. They're away from home. It's the fifth round of the FA Cup. Mm. And Jermaine Jean seemed to be expecting Arsenal to go out there and be 5-0 up after 10 minutes. And we've all watched enough football to know that the world doesn't work that way. I mean, I'm not saying that I think Arsenal played spectacularly well in the first half, because they didn't. But they, they did enough to get control of the situation. Yeah. And once we went 1-0 up, I mean, I don't think the result was ever really in doubt. No. No, Portsmouth for the first 20, 25 minutes put a bit of pressure on. A couple of decent crosses into the box. Uh, Emmy Martinez flapped at one. But after that, it was pretty much under control. They had you know, one or two shots from outside the box, but they never. there was never that clear-cut opportunity that made you think, ooh, Portsmouth are in here. No. 
know, that we, we very much kept them at arm's length. And it was only a matter of figuring it out how to attack them that once Arsenal, you know, did that, that they would they would gain some control of the game. And it came from Reese Nelson. You know, it was a very impressive return from injury in a position where a lot of, you know, a lot of fans are looking at right wing at the moment and seeing Pepe's performances on in previous games. We'll mention Olympiacos in a minute. But seeing a, just a direct w- winger running down the right, making space, beating his man and putting a good ball in is a decent option to have. Yeah, it's quite interesting. I think Pepe, in terms of end product, he's really started to produce in the last few weeks. But um, he looks there's something very awkward about him and the way he runs. And part of it is perhaps um, the lack of a right foot, which has been observed in the last week. Mm-hmm. Um, by comparison, Reese Nelson's like a Rolls Royce up and down that right wing. Um, some people have very high hopes for him. I'm, I, I'm not sure. But if he plays like he did in the second half of that match last night, we're not having to play Pepe just because we've got Pepe. We can drop him out and bring Nelson in. There's, there, there could be a real battle for that position, actually. Yeah. Like I said, and it's important that Nelson establishes himself in the first-team squad. Because he's been missing for so long, and you know, as much praise as Saka has been getting for doing, you know, that work on the left wing and the left back, you know, there's a lot of young players in that Arsenal team that both need and deserve game time. You know, Martinelli has shown that he's a prospect of left wing. Eddie Nketi has done nothing wrong since coming back from Leeds. You know, and here's another young lad that's you know putting his hand up and going, uh, "I think I could do it a few more games too," because. As much as you've paid for the four big lads up front, we're not doing an awful job here. Yeah, I mean, I think as fans, we always sort of gravitate towards the young, the new, and particularly when they're as quick as some of these guys. I mean, I think we've suffered through a lot of stodgy Arsenal teams in the last few years. I mean, obviously, the we're not always the footballer. Um, whereas we look at Martinelli and Reese Nelson, and although they are super quick, they're footballers too, and it's um, it's really exciting, really exciting. Speaking of things that aren't very exciting, we have to get to it. <laughs> I think Olympia, that Olympia, we. And I've been guilty of this myself. I'll be the first lad to put up my hand. The, la- the last few performances before the Olympiacos game were rather encouraging, especially the Newcastle one, where it looked like Arsenal were beginning to get on a roll, where they'd kind of got the gist of what Arteta was trying to do with them, and even though the pieces are still falling into place, they were getting an idea of what he- what's expected, what they want to do, how much running they have to do, who's going to play where, and so on. And... Patterns were starting to develop and habits were starting to develop. And it just looked encouraging. It looked like it was a baseline for something to be built on. And then Olympiacos shined a great big spotlight on the ho- on the club as a whole and reminded us of just how much work needed to be done. Yeah, I'm not sure how much of a surprise it would have been to some people, as Matthew pointed out. Last week, Olympiacos were favourites before the tie began. I think the disappointment is obviously that we won the away leg, so in theory did the difficult, and then shoves in the foot um, Emirates. 
Um, I have a friend who's Arkansas that was obviously very, very happy. But also, I think actually the Everton game from the Sunday, um, we could. There was five minutes left. I said this on the pod last week. With five minutes left of that game, I was thinking if Everton score here, they're going to go and win the game. So I'm. I don't think I was massively surprised. And actually, unusually for the Europa League, um, I managed to watch the last 40 minutes. I sort of feel slightly responsible, actually, because I've watched three Europa League games in the three years Arsenal have been in the competition, and they've lost all of them. Um, So maybe it was me, but um, I switched on with about 10 minutes left of normal time, and... um, there didn't seem to be a lot happening. Um, and then, no. obviously, the substitution where he brought Martinelli on for the last 15 of extra time really sort of changed things for Arsenal. Um, but it wasn't to be. It's, um, it was quite funny to hear the other day that Arsenal have had, I think, six or seven ties decided on away goals. And they've only won one of those. So... The manner of yeah. our was properly Arsenal-esque for a Nick Hornby's phrase. Yeah, I think uh, for me it was it, look it's obviously a disappointing result. I mean, you can't take look Olympiacos deserve to win that game. We can't take anything from them. But in terms of like a long-term view, what it showed to me was that it, it was the result of three years of poor planning and. A lack of like a long-term vision in terms of both manager managerial and transfer targets, because that's pretty much our best team that was selected against Olympiacos, with the exception of Kieran Tierney who's injured. But if he had said at the start of the season that Arsenal were going to pick a team to win a European tie, that was Leno, Bellerin, David Luiz, Mustafi, insert left back here. Xhaka, Ceballos, Ozil, Pepe, Lacazette and Aubameyang. Every Arsenal fan would have went, yep, that'll do. That's our best team. And that team, as constructed, can't play together. It's crystal clear that you cannot play Ozil and Pepe in the same team. That you can't play Lacazette and Aubameyang in the same team. And we tried to do both. I think it's really interesting, the Lacazette question, because... um... Player of the season last year, despite Aubameyang's mountain of goals. And this season, mm. I think it's like that four months of Unai Emery just broke him. Um, you know, yeah. when I think of Lacazette this season, my the image that I have in my head is of his non-reaction to scoring the equalising goal against Southampton, um, which I think was Emery's last league game, was it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was almost, almost like he realised. Oh sh! I've kept this lad in work. What yeah, have I done? I, I, I feel like maybe the, there's something deeper going on with this guy because that this isn't the Lacazette that we thought we were signing, um, and this isn't the Lacazette generally that um, we've seen. Um, but listen to a lot of chat recently about. You know, we, we spent fifty million pounds on this guy, and actually, is he any better than Olivier Giroud was? And you know, with increased horror, you come to the realization that actually he isn't. 
Um, well, on form he isn't. But, but you know, I even at his top form, I mean, I don't think, and I hate myself for saying, this, I'm really pleased that we signed him. Um, but I, I don't look at anything that he does and think he does it better than Giroud did. Anything. Well, but that's the problem. Because he's playing as if he's Giroud. He's coming short for the ball. He's holding up. He's, he's, every time we pass the ball, he's facing our goal. And that's a completely useless use of Lacazette's skill set. He, he is best when he's got the ball at his feet and he's running at defences. Yet for the last year and a half, he's had to come mm. out for the ball and almost play almost plays like a, a six-foot-four brute up front, holding up the defenders, getting the ball, and then flicking it on to the running, a running midfielder like Giroud would do. And it's not his game at all, but he's done it now for so long that it's almost become you know muscle memory to him and now he does it naturally and it's a completely idiotic use of the really skill set like we, we saw sorry, I was to say the really interesting thing about that is that the three managers that he's had at Arsenal have all used him in that way yeah and I don't know why like when we when he was at Leon, he just got the ball and ran and he was an absolute menace in the penalty box because he always ran and that movement, that move, especially off the board, was what made him so special as a striker, because mm. you couldn't mark him. Yet now he is literally standing twenty yards out from the goal, sitting there waiting for the ball. And when you've got, like I said, you've got a a penalty strike, a penalty box striker like a Bamiang who runs off the ball a lot, and you're playing him left wing, and then your striker is literally sitting in the D, waiting for the ball to get to him, whilst. Your creative number 10 and your right winger are both standing five yards apart from each other, waiting for a run. Both of them looking to cut in on their left foot, which means the right, the left back is tucking in because he knows none of them are going to beat them on their right. It just makes everything so narrow and so compact and so clustered in the middle of the park that, of course, we're not going to get through. Because the defence is there looking at you going, these four lads can't play. So what do we do? You sell them. All of them? <laughs> I, you could talk me into keeping Pepe. Just, be, just because it's his first year here and it would be a little bit unfair to sell a lad on his first year. Because you saw there's that one clip going around of him beating a defender 94 times with you know 67 fake shots. And everyone's looking, well, why doesn't he pass it? Why doesn't he pass it? He doesn't pass it because Lacazette is standing on the penalty spot with two lads in front of him. Aubameyang is 10 yards past the far post. And Mesut Ozil is just inside the penalty box looking for it to be passed to his right foot. And you might as well pass it to my right foot. And it's like, this team, as constructed, doesn't work. So treat it like a normal NFL team or a normal NBA team. These players don't work. They can't play together. Get rid of them. And build something that works. Because we've, so, we've seen the financials come in yesterday. And if you haven't seen uh, Swiss Ramble's you know, ep epic thread on it. Go go read it. Because he's the man for this sort of stuff. But Arsenal need money. <laughs> you know like Arsenal's. Never mind the income coming in. Or you know the commercial income only going up 4 million. And all that jazz. Arsenal's wage bill is 18 million less than Liverpool's. That's five Mesut Ozil's. 
So Arsenal need to bring in an, an income of money quite quickly and rebuild from scratch. Now, will it be hard with no European football next year? Maybe. But Arsenal still have the cachet as one of the 10 or 12 biggest clubs in the world. They can pay really good money. They live in one of the best cities, if not the best city in the world. They can attract a calibre of player that will get them back into the Champions League. But right now, if you tell me that next year Arsenal are going to start again with two or three of the front four that played against Olympiacos, that team ain't qualifying for the Champions League because it's not doing it this year and it didn't do it last year. So I don't know why it's going yeah. to do it next year. Yeah, I think as well, I mean, we've talked a lot on the pod about Meza Ozil. Um, I'm not sure how underrated or overrated the skill of getting the ball and just passing it on to someone is, but I feel like Ozil's had a couple of good games recently, but it just feels like his his will to try and create something doesn't seem to be there. I well, there's that, isn't there? Who who are his runners? Because every time he gets the ball, okay. So you just said you'd sell all of them except Pepe. So that yeah. Now, if I can, get, if I can, if I, if I can get my money back for Pepe, I'd probably take it too. I don't, I don't think someone's going to give me eighty million euros for Pepe, but I don't think we've paid all of that up front, have we? Prop. No, but we, we no. It's twenty million a year for four years. But. If you if you were to tell me that you know I could get and what do you do? Do you look to bring in another right winger, or are you trusting Reese Nelson with that? You definitely need one, at least one world class player. Now, where the, the key the key there is who, but it's one of those ones where you just got to trust your scouting system, like it. it you gotta do. You gotta do Liverpool on this. Like, if you think Liverpool thought Mohamed Salah was, you know, not a busted flush at Roma, they thought that, that he could replicate the form of Fiorentina, and he was right. They thought, you know, Sadio Mane would be able to kick on from his former Southampton, and they were right. Like, the idea that Arsenal have to spend two hundred million on four players to be world class again is asinine. Like, there are players there, but you don't get. We don't. Arsenal don't have that many tickets in the raffle, if you know what I mean. Like they have to get these decisions right, and the thing, I suppose the thing is that if you wanted to go young and homegrown, no matter what you do, United and Chelsea are going to outbid you. Like as much as, much as it is a pipe dream for Arsenal to get Jadon Sancho, if Arsenal did get eighty million for Pepe and then offered that money and twenty million for Sancho, United would just add another thirty million on top of it. So. It, it is going to be tricky. I'm not saying that, oh yeah, just sell four lads, bring in four lads, it'll be fine. Again, maybe you look at that team and you go, right, we spend all that money on a, on a, another defensive midfielder and you give the young lads a chance for a year. Maybe, maybe that is the play. But it's one of those situations where I, a contingency plan should be being worked on now because of that performance in a big tie in a, in a situation where you needed your big players to stand up well, and be counted, and they weren't. As I say, I, I didn't see all of it. Um, 
Um, Lucky, Lucky and stand up to be counted in the end. It's just I. <laughs> Oh, so because I was watching the game on a stream, um, Aubameyang scores that incredible overhead kick. Everyone goes bad. It's a beautiful world for about five minutes. And then I just happened to look down at my phone and yeah. one of the Arsenal accounts I follow just tweeted a crying face emoji. And we had the ball at the time. And I was like... You knew. <laughs> what, what, what has happened here? And then gradually we went backwards, backwards, backwards. Burnt Leno pooed his pants. And we conceded that unnecessary corner, which actually we dealt with quite well. But the uh, fatal uh, second ball came in. And um, one of the things that struck me, actually, I don't know that it would have made much of a difference. So I don't have much evidence to suggest otherwise. Um, well, that it would have, is so uh, Socrates coming on for Mustafi? Obviously, he pinged his hamstring, and Socrates was slightly caught ball watching, I think, for the, for the goal. Well, it's it's one of those ones where Mustafi has played well for two months under Arteta, he has, you know, he his ability to cock up has been limited now, he still has, I you know the Chelsea game, but he has improved. And he was superb in a limited role against Olympiacos, whereas like David Luiz is going to do all the defending, you do all the reactionary stuff. And if you got to dive in, grand. And he did. But because he was doing all the running for David Luiz, he pulled a hamstring. And Socrates as he's a a good player, but like you said, occasionally the head switches off. And for five minutes Arsenal the team switched off. I think um, as well, just to think, thinking about this in a more broader sense, um, obviously there's going to be changes up the top end of the pitch in the summer, you know, whether we like it or not. I think most people are accepting that unless we do something reasonable in the league and somehow scrape into Europe and specifically the Champions League, or Bamiyang is probably going to go. I think most people would be would not be sorry to see Lacazette go. Ozil, with I think everyone accepts as good as he's been at times for Arsenal, has probably passed his best a little bit. But actually, if you look at the back, um, we obviously we don't know what Saliba's going to be like when he comes in. Um, the the amount of convincing options we have at centre back, and this is part of the reason why Arsenal getting into the mess that they get into, particularly in Europe. Um, how many centre-backs have we actually got that are worth the name? We, like, Mary, Mary looked all right in his first game against Portsmouth. Um, David Luiz, you take the good with the bad. You, know, you, you take the fact that he's a centre-defensive midfielder playing centre-back. And whilst he's good on the ball... Again, he, he he switches on and off. You know the the the, the Skype call cuts out every thirty seconds with him. You know, like <laughs> like it. You know, there's there's gaps yeah. missing, and with him liable to the occasional mistake, and with Mustafi liable to the occasional mistake, and Socrates liable to the occasional mistake, and for reasons we don't know yet, Rob Holding can't get in the side. You know, that's a worry too. Where. I know he's coming back from injury, but he's been back from injury for a little while now. And yeah. 
he's been you know superseded by first Mustafi coming back in out of the cold, and now a new guy being bought in, completely you know completely from from new. He's got ahead of him as well. So it's it's a weird one. Like you said, with Saliba coming in in the summer, like how many centre backs do you need? And how much money could you get for the ones you want to get rid of? Yeah. Because, no, like I said, we, we bought David Luiz for $8 million. It's not like we're going to get 30 back for him. Like, he might be one of those ones where it, it was a two-year contract, he sits out the second year of his contract, and he basically just plays it out and, and leaves at the end of it, at the end of next year. Maybe you get a, a few quid for Socrates, but he's past the age of 30. It, his resale value is not going to be that great. Mustafi... Maybe, but if you're buying him, like it's it's like buying a car off eBay. It looks great, but you need to bring a mate with you that can have a look underneath first, because you know you look at it, you go, "No, nah, there's something wrong with that." You know, like it's it's gonna be very, it's gonna be. That's why I'm so insistent on selling as much of the front four as you can, because Arsenal need as many as much funds as possible here, and I don't know how much you can get from the senior players that are already in the side. I don't know how much you can... Like, you might not be able to get more than 10 million for Socrates. If you're getting rid of David Luiz, you might have to let him go on a free. Mustafi, you, maybe you get 20 million for him. If another bit... If Danny Sabella stays, then Lucas Torreira... I hope to God his ankle is grand after that awful scissor tackle last night, but how long is Lucas Torreira going to continue sitting on the bench and going, lads, this is not my sign-off for... Is that another 30 million? Do you get rid of Xhaka because he doesn't fit in? Does Gwendozi keep throwing his toys out of the pram because he doesn't get picked? This this squad needs a. There's a lot of questions about this squad. Yeah, speaking of Gwendozi, what, what did you think of his booking last night? It's Mike Dean. You can't out sarcasm Mike Dean. Mike Dean would not allow Mike Dean to be out prima donnaed on a on a game on TV. That was his mistake. Like, I, I could, it's it's six and one half dozen the other. You can't show up a referee. You can't because you're making him look like an idiot. And I kind of get why a referee. Like if that was rugby, could you imagine what the referee would have done? Like if that was Nigel Owens. Now, Jones would have called Gwendozi over and said, look, I'm giving a penalty. Captain, come here. I'm putting him in the bin for 10 minutes being a smart bastard. And if he's and if he opens his mouth again, I'm sending him off and you tell him that. I thought it was quite telling that Jermaine Genus actually had some sympathy for yeah, Gwendozi. Yeah, when Jermaine Genus right. says that Mike Dean is in the wrong, <laughs> when you are agreeing with Jermaine Genus, you know that something is apoplectically wrong. Yeah, because uh, the, the guy tried to take the free kick twice. Yeah. So you, you can't take it. Despite he, he was letting Bournemouth, uh, Bournemouth uh, Portsmouth take quick free kicks, we can't take quick free kicks. Mm. We're asking all the rules of the game don't apply to us. Um, I, I do sort of... I think if any other referee had booked him, I'd sort of be a bit less, a bit more forgiving about it. But I just... You can elbow an Arsenal player in the face and not get booked. You can put in the tackle to error and not get booked. And I have to say, actually, on that tackle, um, in and of itself, I didn't think the tackle was that bad. But you can't justify a tackle like that by then saying, 
oh well he got the ball so it's fine yeah that's um, that's a tackle that 20 years ago is celebrated whereas like he got yeah. the ball and he got the man it's perfect <laughs> you know but now yeah. nowadays where like if that was if VAR looks at that in the Premier League he might get sent off for that yeah again I don't think it was I took to me it it wasn't a sending off. Maybe it was a booking. Um, I think it's the sort of tackle that gets made in the cup game. But for Jermaine, he got the ball, therefore it's fine. No, but, like, but, well, but what, you, what's the logical extension of that? You can kill someone as long as you get the ball. Yeah, you, you kept hearing him saying, oh, it was strong. Or oh, very, very strong tackle. Which is cold. He's basically trying to say, yeah, I, I don't want to go back on what I just said because then I'll look like an idiot, so I can't admit that it was a bad tackle, so I'll just comment on the force of it. And so, yeah, st- strong, strong tackle. Yeah, very, very strong. He comes comes from the back, makes a strong tackle, gets the ball. Oh well. And you're like, yeah, you, and was, we know what you're saying there. there was, wasn't someone taken out when they were about to lead a counter attack as well, something like that, or someone got taken out on the edge of the box. No booking. Mm. Um, but if you put the ball down in a bit of a funny way to take a free kick. That is a nail yellow card. Yeah. I just, just no consistency. I, I, I don't... Obviously, the referees get assessed. I don't know how anyone could assess Mike Dean, particularly when he referees Arsenal and think that he actually referees the game in a objective manner. He doesn't. No. It's, it's one of those where you do have to play the ref. And when Mike Dean is officiating your game... You have to basically act like as if you were a nine-year-old boy on Christmas Eve. You shut up, you smile, and you play. Just a, and, you and, have to leave um, a mince pie and a little shot of yeah, something. Else. Yeah, just 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 for sad, just to make sure that you get presents that day. It's it's ridiculous, but that's how he expects players to act around him. And he does that despite going round and booking lads for putting the ball on the ground after him whistling at you twice to put the ball on the ground. Yeah, I think, you know, if you're going to spend a little bit of time chatting to Lana about Lacazette, it was probably right that we take a moment to talk about Eddie. He's done well. I, it's it's one of those ones where you look at you look at Marcelo Bielsa and you're like, really? You couldn't have used that? A mobile, well, is... a mobile number nine that makes runs on and off the ball that can actually quite good at holding up the ball as well and is good with both feet? That wasn't of any use to you? Really? You know your well, shit. <laughs> it's quite interesting. As you may be aware, I've quite a few friends that are Leeds fans. Mm. And all of them were sorry to lose Eddie. But all of them said that, you know, as much as he scored goals and Bamford doesn't, Leeds definitely lose something when Bamford's not in the pitch in terms of their build-up play. Um, quite interesting. Yeah. Well, um, has always played with, like, a big target number nine like he loves it he he runs his players into the ground and they create a shed load of chances but they do all bounce off a of number nine well as we saw in the third round of the fa cup yeah yeah and so in that sense you can see why eddie doesn't fit but then like he's he's good enough to play left forward right forward as well like they don't really play wingers they play inside left inside right and he would have been more than ideal is one of those spots, but look, they didn't want him. We'll take him, like absolutely. You know, like he's proven to be 
at the very worst, a bored and capable backup striker in the Premier League. At the very worst. So it's one of those ones where, yeah, keep him. Well, he's um, proving what Matthew said about him a couple of years ago, which is he just scores goals. Yeah. Um, but there's a sharpness to him that I really like. Um, and maybe, again, as I said earlier, it's the thrill of the youth, but um, I'm quite, quite excited about what he might do for Arsenal next season and actually during the rest of this season because you would imagine that he may have quite a big role to play in the rest of the FA Cup campaign. Yeah, and look, when you see the big four play against Olympiacos, you see how ill-fitting those pieces were. When you saw the front three against Portsmouth, he just went, right, Martinelli's going to be consistently cutting in on his right, but he's able to beat the man with his left foot on the left wing. Eddie and Ketty can play either side, so if Martinelli has the ball, he can run one way. If, re- if Nelson has the other ball, he can run the other way. And then Nelson's consistently able to beat his man on the right. You can see how that front three would work. Now, Willick is a 10. I, I personally don't see it. I think he's an 8. I don't see him as a 10 because I don't think he's good enough link play, personally. But if you, if, if uh, Emile Smith-Rowe comes back... Like, like, like you can see the formation of a front four there, with Smith Rose the ten and that front three up front. Like, if if that's your backup front four next year, sign me up. Absolutely, sign me up for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's a case of can you find four players that are better than them? Like that. That's that's the that's the challenge to Arsenal scouting department now. Right, see if you can find four players better than them. Because, like I said, as good as good as Aubameyang is, he has proved that a he is an elite scorer of goals and b an elite misser of easy chances. He's done it for two and a half years. He he score he scores the outrageous and then he misses tap ins. You know, Lacazette. If someone wants to give me fifty million from now, thank you. We haven't. We have. You know what? I, I would take probably twenty five for him, really, and we might have to. You know, Aubameyang, you'll still get 50, 60 million for. I, I, I know he's 31, but... but Sorry, he's 30. But Eden Hazard went to Real Madrid with one year left in his contract for 100. So it's not like we're going to get 10. <laughs> you know, there's the, the, you know someone's still going to pay big money for Aubameyang. You'll still get good money for Lacazette. Ozil... Ozil's one of those ones where I'd honestly be thinking about going to him and say, look, here's the last year of your contract. It's, you know, 12 million quid. Here. Take it. Good luck. And just buy him out. Because I, 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 don't, know what, I don't know what it achieves by having him there at the club anymore. I genuinely don't. He doesn't fit into the way Arteta wants to play at all. You can see that. Arteta's tried to play him three different positions already. You know, centre mid, left, in, inside left, and now inside right. And he just doesn't fit. And he certainly doesn't fit with that front three in front of him. One who runs, one who doesn't, one who stands beside him. It just does not fit. And Pepe, if, if Arteta is going to turn Arsenal into Manchester City 2.0, then... They've got you know right wingers who cut in on their left for sport, with Mares and Bernardo Silva. So you know Pepe would fit in there quite snugly. But can they build around him? 
That's the question. Questions ahead, eh? But we got West Ham at home on Saturday. Who are suddenly yeah, in good form? Right? Who are suddenly in good form? As soon as we need a result against a team that's like that, that we were thinking we were looking at the West Ham game two weeks ago and say, well, Liverpool are going to thrash them, Southampton will probably beat them. And they're, they're going to come into the Emirates with no form, and we'll put three or four past them, and we might be fifth or sixth. Now <laughs> <laughs> they nearly beat Liverpool, they thrashed Southampton, and now and now David Moyes has it up and running again, and we look all over the place. And now, now it looks like the Man City game is going to be next week as well, next Wednesday. Is it? Yeah, because the because we don't have the we don't have the Europa League now. Oh, <laughs> it's literally the only spot it's gone. It's gone in. It's like the Premier League found out this morning. Oh yeah, Arsenal aren't in Europe. Oh yeah, there's a free space. Yeah, we'll play it then. So instead of a nice little handy run of games, we've now got West Ham at home, and then City, then City, then Brighton away. And then the quarterfinal of the cup, and then Southampton away. I know that it's your job to be optimist on this podcast, and I, I may live to regret these words. I probably will, but um, I'm not sure we'd be we should be too stressed about West Ham at home. Go on. No, I'm. I'm just saying, you know, West Ham at home. Come on, it's, this is it's it's Arsenal at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what I'm thinking. Like I said that it, it it's it's one of those it's one of those situations where, like the Olympiacos game, put my feet back on the ground so quickly. It's it's it surprised well, even me. That, you know, we shouldn't get too down about because it was always going to happen at some point. We, you know, we've not, not lost the game for two months um, and. We've covered the pod. This is a team with a lot of issues, so um, it's probably not surprising that we've been called out. And you know, the speciality as well, the Emirates European disappointment. Yeah. I mean, come on, this is this is something that happens every year, isn't it? Well, it might not happen next year, but um, yeah, I, I just yeah, reality check. But I, I know it's easy for me to say, and it felt properly cataclysmic last Thursday night. But it is just one game. I hope you're right, Paul. I I, <laughs> I, I really hope you're right. So you think we're going to beat West Ham on Saturday? Yeah, 5 0. I don't really think 5 0. <laughs> I was letting I was that sit there. <laughs> I know you are. I I think we'll win two one, and I think it's going to take at least two crowbars to separate my arse cheeks from the clenching that happens after the first one goes in. Yeah, it's West Ham. I I know, I know. Just, just it's David Moyes' West Ham. Yeah, well, David Moyes does not have a good record against us. He doesn't have a good um, record against the big six. He hasn't won any of the last 29 games. So he's due one. Oh, well, what, what was I thinking? It's going to be 5-0 to West Ham. <laughs> 
That's where we are, listener. That's where we are. We're, 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 lo- we're looking at every game now and we're going, oh, no. But that... Maybe, maybe well, it's a, you've dragged me in. It didn't take much. And I think that's the issue right now. Is that it's This is now the first test of Arteta's brain. Whereas the initial optimism was grand. There was a little bit of a bounce and then Olympiacos. And then everyone's just opened their eyes and gone, okay, right, this team is still rather pony and just looking at our next three away games are quite smelly even without factoring in the Manchester City possibility mm-hmm. Southampton Wolves and Spurs yeah. well obviously we're going to beat Spurs 5-0 yeah. um, and, my words and then, Liverpool, and then Liverpool at home after the Spurs game and then Villa yeah. away who are in the middle of a relegation dogfight like the the idea that Arsenal are going to saunter into the top five with twenty points out of the last nine games, <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah, I don't think anyone is suggesting that. I just I I, I just don't think that it is as uh, as much of a lost hope as is being suggested. Mm. And actually, just while I think about it, um, are we going to take a minute for for Watford? <sighs> Well, you know, Liverpool has two L's in it. It was only right that Watford handed them a third one. Um, Schadenfreude is a glorious thing. Let's be honest. You know, and if anybody asks what does it taste like, it tastes like sour grapes. <laughs> you know, and the idea that, you know, oh, what do Arsenal fans, why are Arsenal fans so cheering? Just they're, they're tenth, you know, they're 42 points behind Liverpool. Well, well, like, why are they cheering? Because you lost and because we're shit. Because we have very little else to celebrate this year, so ha 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 ha. I did. Um, there was the uh, Liverpool fan who tweeted Liverpool fans that night in Istanbul, Chelsea fans that night in wherever it was, Munich, Moscow? Munich, Munich, Manchester United that night in Barcelona, Arsenal fans that night in Watford. And like, you're a Liverpool fan. How do you not know that we won the league at your place thirty years ago? <laughs> It may have been 30 years ago, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Yeah, no, I, I I, didn't tweet anything because, you know, I'm not one of these lads that indulges in such, you know, low-level banter. You know, I didn't want to, like, like d- disgrace my time with, with pettiness, you know, Paul? Like, like, well, well, I don't no. even think it's that. For me, it's like every year that, it's like every year that goes past, actually the achievement of the Invincibles should be more celebrated. Mm. Oh, definitely. Because it becomes more apparent with each year that actually it's really fucking difficult to go unbeaten, no matter how good your team is. Yeah. But actually, people were queuing up year after year saying, oh, they drink too many games. They're draw merchants. Draw merchants don't win Premier League titles. They end up in 10th position. Yeah. Where <laughs> we are. Um, so actually, just have a little you know if you don't like Arsenal that's fine but have a little bit of respect for the achievement because yeah. whatever you think about it it is unique to the English game yeah and like I said sometimes you know there there are going to be people like me who would rather reflect on that than indulge in banter you know Paul like look, silence is golden you know just like our Premier League trophy <laughs> Joining us now on the Skype call, and we promise we're not recording this for the fourth time, is our European football expert and 
found a member of the Alexandra Lacazette Internet Fan Club, Lana Dawood. Lana, how are you? I'm great compared to your computer. Compared to my PC, what PC my PC right now is acting like Alexander Lacazette. It's supposed to work brilliantly. It looks great, but there's just something broken about it right now. And we can't put our finger on it, which is why I've got you on. Is is he has been himself for some time? He, like he's doing basically a poor man's impression of an Olivier Giroud stand-up career. Like is he is this fixable or have we broken him? Uh, honestly, I think you might have broken him. I, but I, I think it's a mix of a lot of things. Uh, you know, toxic environment, changing of coach. I mean, how long has he been at the club? Not third year. Two and a half. And yeah, had, two two and a half years. This is his third season. Yeah. Yeah, and he's had three different managers. Four. If you count uh, Freddie Fred Jungberg, yeah. yeah, and I mean that kind of you know messes up someone's mentality and just overall confidence. And you know he's been injured. The team hasn't been performing. There's just so much playing in, and I think he's at a point where Arsenal and him basically it's time to say goodbye. Sadly enough. Would you and it breaks my heart because I really, really, really wanted him to be the next, you know, French striker to conquer the club. But like, so when we bought him from Leon, and if you are a regular listener, you will know the affection that Lana has for Leon in in her heart. And like, when we bought Lacazette, she was the first person to come on the pod and said, "Look, you've bought an absolute stud here." Like he's going to be perfect for you because of his work inside the penalty box, of his ability to run with the ball, with his ability to create outside. He's versatile. He can play in four positions. You're going to love him. And here we are two and a half years later and every time he gets the ball, he's facing you, our goal, not his. You, He doesn't trust the midfielders. He doesn't trust his teammates. And that's very dangerous, I would say. Because uh, once that trust is broken in a team, it's very hard to regain it, and it just cre- you know creates a dysfunctional um, atmosphere, I would say, around the club. Uh, and I think that when you have the players you have, I don't blame him because I wouldn't say that you have a very functioning midfield. Uh, you have a Mesut Özil who is a shadow of his former self. You have a young boy who was thrown into a team that is struggling uh, on several, you know, um, several points. And then who's your third midfielder? You have Xhaka, who was basically almost forced out by the fans because he did what everyone else have been wanting to do for a long time and tell you all to fuck off. <laughs> Basically. So good on him. I was probably one of the few who applauded him because people need to be held accountable for their actions. People forget that players are human beings. And as much as I despise Mesut Ozil, the fact that when he was attacked, the reason why he behaved the way he did, we now found out that his wife is pregnant. She's due soon as well. Mm. 
And that must have been a terrifying feeling for him. And uh, not only for himself, but the fact that his wife was with him and, you know, his unborn child. And all these things create such a hostile environment, so toxic. And I wouldn't blame players if they wanted to leave. And especially with the way the club is run as well, there's no, it just doesn't seem like there's no progress. We've seen some positive sides, you know, ever since Arteta took over with the defense seeming more stable. I don't think I've ever put stable in Arsenal defense in one sentence. But it, you know, it excites me. Uh, Although it's like not very often used. Um, But they seem more stable. The issue is that the midfield is suffering because of it. Because you're not moving the ball quick enough when you have it. You lose it very often. You don't, you've lost that very fluid game that Arsenal was so famously known for under Wenger. And when you have a midfield that is so dysfunctional and just basically doesn't click together, the strikers will suffer, which also results in Lacazette dropping deep. He reminds me a lot of when Benzema used to do that. When they didn't have a midfield for Madrid, he would often drop deep and almost play more of a midfielder than he would as a striker, which then the Madrid fans would abuse him because you're not scoring. Well, I have to have someone create for me to score. And that's the beauty of Lacazette. He is able to, you know, score, create, defend, uh, drop deep the way he does. And he is someone that creates chances, involves players. And there's a reason why Atletico loves him so much and why he feels that when he's on the pitch, everyone else around him is so much better. Unfortunately, he, for some reason, becomes bad, if you can say it, in mm. a way. Yeah. Uh, because he his work ethic makes others explode into better players, but he's being punished for it, which results in players, you know, in fans hounding him and wanting him out because he's basically a budget version of their, you know... That bent guy, whatever his name is. I've seen him being compared to a lot of players. And I've just come to the point where block, 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 mute, 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 report, report, report. It's like, I don't even waste my time or energy fighting these people. They they come into my mentions. Like, I had literally not tweeted about the game or anything. And they come into the mentions be like, you owe us an apology. And like, bro, what? If anyone owes anyone an apology, it's me. Do you know how much abuse I've had to endure because of you assholes? I've had people wish illness upon me because of Lacazette. They were like, you sold those dreams. And I'm like, well, not my fault you guys are shit. Yeah, but it's like, there were dreams that like you could like load up one YouTube video of Leon's Europa League trip in 2016. And you go, Jesus Christ, Lacazette nearly won that competition by himself. He did. Like, the thing is, I presented you. I shaped a boy. I spent years of my life presenting you someone on a silver platter. And you guys went and just broke him. This is a guy who has showed up in literally every freaking big game. He's carried that Leon team on his side, you know, on his back. And what do I get in return? Well, I hope you get cancer. I'm like... Really, dude? Really? Like, that's that's what you're going to give me? Your team is shit. This is a guy who scored so many goals. He was the top scorer in League One for years and years. He broke several records, uh, you know. And 
he didn't turn. He's not shit. I refuse to believe that a player can go from being, you know, world class to be being a shadow of himself. He just like he doesn't look slim. He looks like he's put on weight. He looks off pace. He just looks so moody and grumpy all the time. And you know, Leon fans, they've been under a very rough season uh, with you know threats from the club of potentials, you know, suing us because we went online and called Garcia a clown and sent clown emojis. So now they've banned clown and muted that word and picture from Twitter. And Leon started off with this, like, positive, fresh vibe. You know, their biggest legend of all came back with Janino. Silvino was hired as the new coach. He's very famous for you Arsenal fans as well. Mm-hmm. And then it started off really well because suddenly Leon scored five goals in a game. And then it just, like, went downhill. Like, the curve downhill. It wasn't as slow one. It was, like, genuinely just down, crash, and fall. And then he got sacked. They went and, you know, brought the former Marseille uh, coach, Rudy Garcia, who has, in his time as a Marseille fan, said not so many highly positive words about Lyon. So you can imagine the vibe around the club at that time. Yeah, imagine if Arsenal hired Glenn Hoddle as his manager. Yeah, basically. Like, it's that bad. Yeah. So it was like, it just went straight to hell. And then the club put out a statement on the eve of the event game saying that we will sue whoever talks about the club, the players, or the coach. The issue is no one was talking about the players, well, with the exception of Marcelo, because he, for some dumb, strange reason, decided to pick a fight with the ultras. And everyone knows, well... I don't know if it's not a well-known concept in England because I don't think you guys have ultras, but ultras no, are not, very... they used to. I mean, there's still a lot of like firms they would call them that, but there's no sort like the, not to the extent that there used to be in the seventies and eighties, uh, because with the Taylor Report, all-seater stadiums, basically these groups got split up. Yeah, and now they're dispersed all around. It's one of the biggest reasons why the Emirates is as quiet as it is because Highbury despite its their its moniker of the library when it wanted to get loud it could get loud but what happened was when everyone moved to the Emirates in 2006 people who were sitting beside each other in Highbury for 30 years or more were then put on opposite sides of the ground it was a travesty yeah. and they got rid of all the season ticket records got rid of everything like that and they now say well you know we can't move you and it's just it's it's a shame but that's that's, that's happened in almost every stadium in England now, where it's like all the stadiums have ripped up these groups. And as a result, yeah. they're now having to resort to singing sections being brought back, where it's literally, if you sit in such a block, you have to sing. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but not the, but, every, but, we don't need to listen to people and they're not so nice voices. Yeah, but that's that's what it's good. That's what it's 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 been you know and look fair there's you know, there's groups uh, with like like red cannon and, and stuff like that that do great work at arsenal trying to get the atmosphere back but it's it's got to the stage where a lot of people go to arsenal games now not expecting to be entertained but wanting value for the 70 or 80 quid that they've paid to get in in the first place they haven't gone there to sing they haven't gone there to shout they've gone there to watch their team win and the emphasis on that word there being watch yeah, but the thing is, like, you need 
uh, buzz. Because, you know, going back to the ultras, uh, they're very big in Germany. Mm. You have them in Italy uh, and you have them in France as well. Well, the, you know, Paris ones, uh, most of them also got, you know, um, banned and uh, dismantled due to the death of the Marseille fan mm. uh, uh, a couple of years ago when Ancelotti was in charge. Uh, but there's still such a vital part of a club. Uh, and when a player then decides to start a beef with that ultra group, what do you think happens? Well, they decided to call him a donkey and every other word under the sun. It literally, when they lost, I don't remember which game it was that they lost, where they were leading 1-0, then decided to collapse gloriously, and the other team came back to win 2-1. I think it was against Brazil mm. at home. He then, they started, they got into a fight, and it just, like, caused massive uproar. No, it was the Champions League qualifier against Leipzig. Oh, yes, yes, it was the last game of the group stage, yeah. They yes. used to beat Leipzig to win, yeah. Yeah, that was the big miracle when Memphis Depay just suddenly decided to become a big game player, which he is known to be, but it was like, he really came big that game. So that just, like, everyone was just like shocked because you could just see the cameras you know zooming in on the ultras and then marcelo running to start a beat yeah. where's your like, sign where's your sign now where's your sign like, now and every, and yeah because that literally what it, that's what he told them and they just like kept holding the sign up and basically you're a donkey fuck up. and that caused a big uproar and it's like when you look back these ultras when you know when lacazette left they they were genuinely heartbroken. Mm. I think everyone was because he was. There were it was basically the prodigal. You know, the son was leaving someone who we you know you've shaped for two decades at a club. That's the thing people don't understand. He's a very loyal player, extremely loyal person. Like he, the Leon colors run through his blood. He's like blue and red through and through. We saw that at the weekend when he was cheering on the club and sent, you know, tweets to Aubameyang. Hey, we won. Uh, Aubameyang, I don't think he ever applied back as well. So, you know, he. I think it's very hard for him going from having the support of so many fans and fans that view him as their own, as their son, basically, to coming into a team where fans are notoriously known to be hounding out their own players and abusing them online i've seen some of the abuse that some of the wives of arsenal players have received it i'm appalled i'm like how are people allowed to be on this app it's just like they're so vile and i can understand why he is so low on confidence because you can see it he is so frustrated with himself uh, because he knows he, he can do better we all know those who have you know loyally been following him for so many years we know this is not the player that we cheered on for so many years. This is not a player who single-handedly turned around the Roma game where they went out to win 4-2. The Ajax game where Leon needed three goals and he scored two of them. And, you know, the big games against Marseille, the hat-trick, the Zerbi, you know, the double against PSG and all these big games. That's the player we've come to love and adore. And then we see him at Arsenal. And just my heart aches for him because he wasn't even supposed to be there. That's the issue. Yeah. Because that's... of his his loyalty 
cost him because when Fakir got injured, he was going to leave that summer. It, he was promised that that's the thing when I'll, when a player, when it's time for a player to leave the club, like we basically raised you, fed you, giving you all the love and props and everything you need. It's time to spread your wings and, you know, go be that world-class player we know you can be. He promised them you can leave. He did, he did it with Gonalun, he did it with Toliso, he did it with Umtiti, he did it with Fakir and with Lacazette. Lacazette stayed another year because Fakir got injured. It was also that season, which was the season that Lacazette really reinvented himself and became the world-class player because, you know, he was versatile in attack. You know, he could play out on the wings, left and right, or in attack, but he had to reinvent himself. He started, you know, to fall deep, create chances, defend more, and just overall become a more complete player that's also something i'll always bring up that in terms of who overall is the better player out of lacazette and abomia lacazette is oh, head and shoulders above easily him. easily easily because uh, abomiang is very limited take away his pace you you you, you don't have much that's the thing he, he's uh, brilliant at putting himself in positions to score what he yeah. isn't brilliant at is consistently scoring them, as we saw against Olympiacos. Like it, when we saw Gary Neville and Jamie Carrier say, "Why don't we call Aubameyang one of the best strikers in the world?" That's why he's brilliant at getting into those positions. But you give him a, a shot ten yards out, and it can go anywhere. It's because just, the thing is, with Aubameyang, he is, although he's very limited, he's very intelligent. Mm. He knows that he uses his greatest resources to his own advantage, as you say put himself in those positions that not very, you know, unless you're intelligent, that's the thing with the footballer. You can be talented, but you could, but also be very dumb. Mm. You know, Hatem Benarfa being an example, Samir Nasri being an, another example. That's the thing. If you're a talented player and you're intelligent, you know, if you look at Kylian Mbappe, Hussam Awad, Karim Benzema, although his track record is a bit dubious at times, mm -hmm. these are all exceptional talents but they're also very intelligent and that's also the same with Aubameyang although he's not exceptionally talented he's very intelligent he knows where to place himself in those right positions albeit he does miss his chances which ended up costing Arsenal unfortunately yeah but like I said that's what that's Aubameyang's Achilles heel so to speak you know he is elite in getting those chances it's just putting half of them away He'll, yeah. create, he'll create three or four chances like that game and he might score two of them. And that's good enough to be one of the best strikers in the world. But Yeah, he get, he gets away with those dumb games yeah. because he puts them out. But the, why can't Lacazette be granted that same? You know, coming back to why he's being punished, why he shouldn't be... He, he isn't supposed to be an Arsenal player, if we're being totally honest. Because mm. by staying that extra year... He was supposed to leave in the summer, go to Atletico Madrid and play with his best friend Griezmann. He stayed because he was promised captaincy, leading the team out in the Champions League at the new stadium because they were uh, leaving, you know, Stade de Gelan, going over to Parc Goel, uh, becoming the first team in uh, League One to own their own stadium. No other team does it, not even PSG, not even Marseille, Saint-Étienne, all these big clubs, none of them own their own stadium. Lyon became the first. And, you know, all these uh, promises, he, he'll stay because he's loyal. And he knows that Aulas will keep that 
promise to him. He did end up leading the team into the you know new stadium, scoring, becoming the first player to score, etc., etc. Et Had he left, he would have been an Atletico player by now. Staying on, the following summer, what happened? Atletico got the transfer ban. He opted for his second choice, which was Arsenal. And then Wenger left after a year. Emery came in. That went to hell. Then Jungbar came in. Temporary, now Arteta. But of all these play- managers, Arteta is probably the only one that's, re- well, barring Wenger, who's really highly spoken about him and his qualities and highlighted why he's probably the most important player in the team. If you actually listen to the press conferences that he had about him and why he starts him, even if he doesn't score, because he brings others into play and he makes everyone else around him good. Much like Zlatan did when he was at Milan. He made Pato and uh, Robinho score 16 and 17 goals each. I mean, Mm. that was the only season they did. But he was brought in to be like... Laxet was brought in to be the link player between Alexis and Ozil. Yeah. It was like it was like the we were hoping that Alexis still had a year left in him where it was like where he could still, you know, there's at least some legs left in the tank. Ozil was yeah, you know, a second runner for Ozil, if anything, just just to try and get make a bit more space now that he thought that he might be, you know, leaving as well. And then they played three times together. And you Alexis know, left. And Alexis left. And I think you would have benefited more by keeping him and letting him run off his contract than tying Mesut Ozil down. Maybe. I mean, Alexis is running on empty now for the last year and a half. I mean, he was shocking. He has the cor- coronavirus, apparently. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That was literally the rumors on Twitter the other day oh, that he's, he, he's gotten the coronavirus, which I found to be very hilarious because he's been... He's been shit at Inter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. It's it's like Inter's not a bad team. They're they're oh, you know they're they're the 2015 Premier League All Star side. Yeah. Well, even <laughs> with Ashley Young, Young is, yeah. he's doing well. He's scoring and stuff like that. But you know, if you if you can't even make it at Inter, who's like rebuilding and stuff like that, then you should just retire basically and go have fun with your dogs. Yeah. In a nice way, but it, it's but it's, but it's one you of those can ones where... see that it's cost you to keep Ezel though. Oh yeah, but like, but it's it's one of those ones where Arsenal have got to the stage now, and again with Milan, who are now looking for even Gazidis to go. Shockingly, because like Arsenal's financial report came out yesterday, and Arsenal's wage bill is now eighty million a year less than Liverpool's, and that's that's five, insane. That's five Ozels a year. You know, League One clubs have better revenue yeah. and like the numbers because with the new TV deal that came through, it was a really huge moral boost for even the smaller teams. Yeah. You like if you look at Strasbourg and Amiens and these teams, they're direct selling in League One because they got in the money mm. and they're spending wisely that and they have the fans to come and they give this great atmosphere as well. But it's insane that it's like. I, I don't know who has such low income, well, except Arsenal. Well, that's that's the problem. Like, in the top six in England now, Arsenal are sixth in terms of commercial income and in terms of revenue. Like Arsenal are still relying on the stadium to be the 
their biggest revenue driver. And it's a problem because even Tottenham are making 40 million a year extra in commercial revenue. Bayern Munich yeah. are now, when Gazidis came out eight years ago and said, oh yeah, well, we're going to be the next Bayern Munich. We're going to do this, blah, blah, blah. Bayern Munich are now making 220 million more a year in commercial Bayern revenue. Bayern are on a whole nother level. I know, I know, but like, when Arsenal built the stadium, the whole point was to be Bayern. Yeah. You know, like, Bayern built a new stadium, 60, 60 odd thousand. Arsenal built a new stadium, 60 odd thousand. Uh, you know, Bayern at the time in 2006 weren't doing very well. Like, it's it's one of those, I know they've got an inbuilt advantage in Germany, but still, like, it's like Arsenal put themselves in a position to be one of the biggest commercial, reve- commercial revenue drivers in the world. And, and over the last five years, they've been overtaken by pretty much all of their rivals. They've gone backwards. They've gone back. Not so much that they've gone backwards, they've stayed still, which is just as, it's pretty much the same thing. That's probably worse than going backwards. You know, and... Because going backwards, at least you're... They're trying, but it just... Like you're saying, they're they're just stuck. Yeah. Meanwhile, Tottenham are moving forward, Liverpool are moving forward, Chelsea moving forward, City are... You know, I know they're going to get banned out of the Champions League and the Europe League for the next two years, but they're going to find some way to spend money. United are united. You know, like, Arsenal are... I said it earlier with Paul, like... Arsenal don't have the ability to go out and spend 150 million on top of this team. And nope. when you've got Aubameyang, Lacazette, it's with one year and two years left on their contract, it's I think it's impossible to turn down the temptation of just cashing in on them and starting from scratch. But the thing is, well, if you look at the track history of Arsenal, they don't spend wisely. I mean, the fact that they actually went out and paid eighty million for Nicola Pepe, uh, which is a huge signing. He's mm. an very he's a very exciting player. I think much like like I said, he's uh, and Gunduzi uh, to mention. You know, three league one players. They've been very unlucky coming into a side that is trying to rise from the ashes, uh, and they're trying to rebuild, but it's very difficult because. As you said, you have a lot of players that don't click in this team. They need to be sold. But they're not going to be sold for the high money that you need. So you have to sell the two players that would actually have the potential to secure your Champions League. So you're like, do you sell? The temptation is there to sell them. But then what do you do with the money? Do you go and spend it on another Greek defender or another, you know, World Cup champion winner in Mustafi? Like, and the as we, you know, people like to make fun of League One because it's the Farmers League. I guess we can say that the same about the Premier League this year, considering that Liverpool are like, what, 30, 40 points clear at the top. I'll bet they did not go unbeaten through the season. So oh. that honor still remains to Arsenal in uh, Arsene Wenger. Huge credits to him because he gets to take a glass of wine and celebrate that. <laughs> uh, and they suffered their second loss in a row. See, when the first loss comes, it just goes crumbling. But League One clubs are not just going to, you know, fold and be like, oh, we're broke, we need the money, so we'll sell. Because they're starting to build as well. They're starting to come up top. You know, as I mentioned before, with the TV revenue, with the new TV deal and the money that's coming in to to the sides, their hands are not forced anymore. Yeah. And they also have excellent academies as well. So, you know, 
when you have established players, you know, such as Memphis Depay, Dembele, Awar, you can allow the likes of Martin Kakeret, Ryan Sharki, I mean, Guiri come through because you have that mix of youth and, you know, um, already experienced players. But what are you going to do with Oslo when you sell to experienced players? Are you really going to rely on, you know, Enketia and Martinelli for a season? I mean, that's what everyone on Twitter is saying. Sell them both. We can rely on the youngsters. They're good. I mean, they are good. Like, are they ready to be the front line of a team competing, hopefully, for a league? That would be so unfair because you've semi-ruined Gwendozi a lot. Because he was just thrown into the team. And people forget that he's only 19. This is someone that needed slowly to be, you know, integrated into the team. But he was just, like, thrown in naked. Be like, you're on your own. Do whatever you want. And you can see in the decisions he made, you know, some of... They're so dumb. And he wouldn't be making them if he was basically just given a free reign to do whatever he wants. And now he's not even in the starting lineup anymore, from what I've seen, because Arteta called uh, called him out on his bullshit. It's like Emery's not here anymore. You can't do whatever you want. Yeah, like he's he's very much having to freelance his way through games, and you can see you saw it against the Portsmouth game on Monday, where he was playing centre mid and he would go to his usual spot of ten yards outside the defensive pair, the defensive centre backs, and you could hear Arteta roaring at him get out of the way you're supposed to be there you're supposed to be here you're supposed to be there whereas he would just no i'm just gonna stand here anyway like yeah. the, he's a petulant little man now did he deserve to get booked for being sarcastic my Riley? probably not i mean he was asked to put the ball down so he did but it, it's one of those ones where if he's good and he was he's good every week you put up with it yeah you know well and, actually you wouldn't would you? Uh, Henri did it. Yeah, but he's no Henri, or he's no. no... But that's but that's my point. Like Henri would, you know, go would take a free kick quickly from thirty yards out. The referee would blow him up, and then Henri would put the ball down, put the ball into the top corner, then look at the referee and go, "Is that okay for you?" Because he did yeah. that. To, he did exactly that with Wigan. <laughs> Instead of celebrating, put the ball in the top corner and then stared at the referee. And go, "Is that all right now? Would that do? Was the ball sit? Was the ball stopped there now?" And then off he sauntered and celebrated. You know, so like, if, if you're good enough, you get away with this this kind of behaviour. Is he good enough yet? No. He would be crucified in League One if he did that. Mbappe, uh, for a while, was very arrogant because, you know, he could walk the walk. But the fans, they were like, we don't care how good you are. We don't care how many goals you do. You have to stay grounded and humble. Oh, that, that's why they brought, you know, uh, a, a Brazilian in who would teach him the, the ways of being humble and show him that work rate is everything and how dedica- dedication to the cause is key and how to be a model professional. Luckily, he hasn't <laughs> been affected that much. Uh, a fun story. Um, Ryan Sharki, who is, the, you know, the next uh, big thing coming out of Lyon, uh, he, his parents are in close contact with uh, Kylian Mbappe's parents. Uh, on how to, you know, keep your boy level and, you know, humble and grounded. Uh, Which I I found it very sweet, to be honest, because everyone knows he he, is truly special. He is a very special player. He's, you know, a generational player. Became the youngest to score as well. And 
everyone is so excited. They're like, oh, please play him more, please play him more. But Garcia, as much as I hate him, he was really smart uh, in his presser and said, he's the kind of player that you need to really take it easy with and slowly integrate him into the team. And we've seen him, you know, come on. He came on against Juventus as well. Uh, did real well. And you're just, I'm just very excited about him, uh, Martin Kakiris, coming through as well. He's played uh, a couple of games. Um, and that's what I love about League One. They have such a quality academy that I wish I'd, I, I wish we'd seen more of this, more the more focus of this in England. I We're starting to see it now. You know, with Chelsea and their academy players coming through as well. But I wish we'd just have more focus on it. As opposed to Arsenal's scattergun technique of, well, you're playing left wing. Oh, well, we didn't buy enough left backs. We sold our, our one healthy one. Uh, we're going to play a sack of left back now just because we've got nowhere else to play him. He's so good, though. He is, but he's not left back. No, but he seems to do well, though, although he. If I'm not mistaken, he did come out and say he didn't. That was not his position. He no, no, he's a left winger. Like and, and frankly, six to nine months of playing left back and letting him learn, you know, just the defensive basics at least will suit him brilliantly for when he's got Kieran Tierney behind him. Yeah, because if he having, ever comes back from injury, if, which well, he hopefully touch wood, Jesus. But like, if 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 Arsenal do get twenty games in a row of Tierney and Saka both. Bombing forward and bombing back defensively. That that that'll do me for a decade. Thanks. Job done. But the thing I like about Saka is that he by almost being punished to play in another position, he's become this versatile player that yeah. is able to play in two different positions. And that's also, you know, if you go back to League One, is players usually always excel in two positions. Uh if they graduate through Clairefontaine, you know, if you look at him, Titi's, you know, at the center back and a left back, uh, you know, Luca Hernandez, he can play as a center back and as a, you know, left back. So Toliso can play multiple positions in midfield, Lacazette as well. Uh, so it's so important that a player is now limited to the one position. As we, you know, if you look at Rabio, who prefers to play in the number six role. He tried to pull that crap with Juventus, and they were like, "Well, you're staying on the bench. There you go, sit there. We're gonna play the, you know, midfielders that actually wants to play." Hmm. And speaking of Juventus, I think the main issue with Arsenal is that they didn't replace a certain Welsh wonder boy. That hurts uh, Lacazette too, to be fair. Yeah, that hurts. I think Ramsey, you know, losing Ramsey hurt Lacazette more than anyone else, or anything in general because they had such a great partnership and you could see just how great he was when Ramsey was playing and I think Lacazette's form start to dip around the same time Ramsey got injured as well mm. which and, is heartbreaking and, and, and like I said when no one's passing him the ball immediately or running past him he has to come deeper for the ball and then he just has to stand there and wait for it and he's got Aubameyang to his right on the left wing Wait, just basically standing left wing to make space, and then he's got Ozil and Pepe standing five yards within each other, both looking to cut in on the left foot, looking for a runner. It it's just such a badly built team with brilliant players. That's the thing, and the players are basically being punished for 
the sh- you know for not having the proper players around them and if i was lacazette or abameyang would i want to spend the prime years of my life at a club like that or would i walk i mean you can't you can hardly blame them if either would want to go no which is which is why when the opportunity is there to sell them and if arsenal dodge qualify for the champions league this summer which frankly i don't think they will then take the money and run and say look lads sorry you're great players it just did you know it's not it's not you it's me <laughs> you know yeah, it's, it, you know like it's it's just, it's just not working out and start from scratch i mean like i said i even with one year left in this contract Aubameyang still commands a good fee like Eden Hazard went to Real Madrid for 100 million with one year left in his contract I'm not saying Aubameyang Hazard and he's you know they've broken him but yeah. so you, you you would still expect a man a player with Aubameyang's scoring record to still command a fee of maybe 50 to 60 million oh absolutely especially in today's market as yeah. you said if that Faraz Hazard could go to Madrid yeah. uh, for 100 million and they despise him. Like, my brother, he's a Chelsea fan, so he is very smug today because they got to beat Liverpool and put another L in their book. He was like, yeah, I don't care for Hazard. He was heartbroken when he left. He, I've never genuinely seen the boy be so heartbroken about yeah. anything. But when Hazard left, he was like, my son is gone. Yeah, but he and was the match boy, winner for years. Like, he was brilliant. Yeah. He was genuinely, he was world class. Like, he was world class. Like, there's and no I think two ways he regrets... It. I think that Chelsea benefited from him leaving. Whilst I think he's forgetting it a lot by leaving. The thing is, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Yeah. I, I don't blame him for moving. I mean, when Real Madrid come calling, you go. Like, no but would matter, you want to leave for that dysfunctional team as well? It's what Barcelona and Real Madrid will always have one of two things. It will, always, it will either be, we're great, come win a lot of trophies with us, or we're sh- Come make us great again. But look at Barcelona. Look at Griezmann. I mean, I don't think he expected to be in that position. No, but that he is the and they're, he should have went like, the year before. He, I think the timing was right for him to leave. I just think that the that wasn't the right club. Where do you Sadly. where do you, where do you leave Atletico Madrid to go to though? Like like Juventus weren't buying him, Bayern Munich weren't buying him. He would he would have been perfect at either clubs. That's the thing. Oh yeah, but oh he he fits in anywhere. Like he's one of those players that is you so don't, good. He, you can play him literally anywhere. Yeah, and, and he, he wasn't going to go. He wasn't going to go to PSG. Although PSG were basically selling their souls, whatever's left of it, to get him. And, but I think if if you're going to listen to the rumors they might do a swap with Neymar because P- Barcelona is so desperate and PSG are equally desperate to make them French again. Imagine the attack of Mbappe and Griezmann. Like, that would be insane. Surely. Uh, it, it, I, I've said this before, like, like, Kylian Mbappe is the most, like, the most valuable footballer in, in the world. Like, he, he's the one that you wouldn't trade for. Mm-hmm. Except in Liverpool's case, where they wouldn't trade Van Dijk for anyone. Like if if you offered Liverpool fans, if you say, "Look, we're gonna give you have to give PSG Mane, Salah, and Firmino for Mbappe," they would be like, "Here you go." 
take them all three. But if you go, we will. Get, we you have to give up Van Dijk on his own for Mbappe. They'll tell you to get lost, and rightly so. But is he worth equally as much as um, as Mbappe though? Uh, not he's not worth as much, but he's worth as much to Liverpool because Liverpool might be able to replace that front three. They've no no one has any chance at hell of, of replacing Van Dijk. True. Like he's worth, in... he's worth more to Liverpool than any player at any club right now. Yeah. Well, unless you count uh, Juventus and Barcelona with their Ronaldo. I think I think, I think Barcelona right now would sw- would swap Messi for Van Dijk. In a heartbeat. I think they'd rather get Mbappe. But he he's not their type of player either. No. That's the thing. He would suit Madrid more. Yeah. yeah. Uh, to be honest, who wouldn't want to go and play for Zidane? Well, that's, if he's, that's if he's still there. Yeah, but... Yeah, that's true. But I don't think they'll sack him. Apparently, the players wanted him, but... It was like, get him or we leave. So, I don't know. Or maybe he'll come to Juventus. That's if Sarri gets sacked. Oh, he will. The biggest biggest mistake Juventus ever did was letting Allegri go. Yeah. Because I think, like, I see Juve fans, the same Juve fans who abused Allegri, they were like, I can't believe we sacked Allegri for Sarri. And I'm like, he, his philosophy would be more suiting for a club like Arsenal. A uh, club like Barcelona, um, even Lyon, who play that you know free fluid attacking football. Juventus Football Club has never, ever been known to play beautiful free attacking football. Like the only club that's probably have is Napoli, <coughs> who who have hired um, yeah, no, they've hired Gattuso, who are now playing four two three one. Like and Martins is gonna leave there in the summer. But he did volley as Barcelona. Yeah, but he's off. He's out with contract. Yeah, I can't believe that he's leaving though. So fi- but... fi- final question before I let you go: Is Lacazette an Arsenal player next summer? At the start of next season, will Lacazette be there? Um, I don't think so. I genuinely don't. I believe that he will leave. But I think it it, it depends on a lot of things. Will Aubameyang stay? Will he go? The best thing for the club will, would be if both would stay and they would sell, <laughs> get Ozil off the books. But the bastard has gone out and said, I'm staying. Yeah, I'm not saying, ta- ta- unless you were to pay up this contract, I ain't moving nowhere. So, I mean... I would hope that Arsenal could manage to secure, you know, Champions League football. Is there a chance? I haven't looked at the... Um, they're five points behind fifth. Okay. How far off fourth are they? Though? No, no, fifth because City City are banned in the Champions League. But is it confirmed that... It, uh, it, until, until City get it reversed, it's confirmed. Okay, so... Because it, it's not... A, it's not... A, it's not... Like, England have four places in the Champions League next year. Yeah. So if for if City do, if City finish in one of the places that gets it, then City don't get in, and it goes to, and then basically it's up to the FA to decide who's next, and that would be the next one down. So they're like how many points behind? Did you say? 
Uh, five points behind fifth. With a game, with a, I think with a game in hand. I would say that they should, but then again, I think back to but when they needed seven ninth. points. Yeah. Yeah. Like the problem isn't so much the gap; it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the it's the, it's the teams ahead of them. Yeah. And there's some quality teams. Isn't like Wolverhampton or whoever is in yeah. front of them? Yeah, United United are on fifth with 42. Wolves are on sixth with 42. Tottenham are seventh with 40. Sheffield United are eighth with 40. Burnley are ninth with 38. And Arsenal are tenth with 37. And their game in hand is City away. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, that, that, so that game in hand is, uh, we can count that as a loss. <laughs> City should be doing Arsenal a favor and just be like, "You should win." Yeah, I think they'll do us a favor by not scoring any more than six. They're struggling as well, though, so it could go either way. I mean, they're struggling and just won a cup. <laughs> True, but it's the League Cup. No one takes it seriously. They would lost a League Cup game in three and a half years. That's uh, true. <laughs> Arsenal might win the FA Cup, so you know. Something positive can come out of this season. Maybe. Maybe. Like I said, they could get Sheffield United at home quarterfinal or Newcastle at home quarterfinal. But can they secure Europa League, though? Well, if they win the FA Cup, they get in. Yeah. Uh, So it's the same as in France. If you win the Cup, you... And it becomes a question, do you want European football or do you want a clean run next year just to get into the Champions League? The thing is, even if they were given a clean run, I think they would still choke. If we're being honest, come on, last season, how many points did they need to secure fourth and they choked? Yeah. We have yeah. to be realistic. It's a new year, new Lana. I'm being very realistic. I think he will leave. That just depends on who's in need of a striker. I know Juventus uh, fans really like Lacazette. They really, really like him. And if they can actually get him and Tolisso, who's they, who they're heavily linked to, oh my god! Imagine two best friends being reunited again. That would be that would be Lana playing football manager with Juventus right there. I should be the coach of a team. <laughs> like I like give me the free reign to sign four players. That's all I need. Four players as my core, and then I can just use, spend the money on everyone else. I would legit bring in the holy tree of Omtiti, Tuliso, like I said. The fourth one, probably be Leo Dubois from Lyon. Young man, Jesus. Mm-hmm. All French, you know, because French teams are awesome, contrary to what Arsenal fans might believe. There you go, Raul, get your checkbook out. Yeah, just don't come for any of my Lyon players. <laughs> They're they're out of you. They're literally out of your league. I don't believe you could afford them. Bele, Awa, Depay. You you could probably afford Marcelo. Oh, thanks. He, thanks. Even then, Aulas would probably rip you guys off. That 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 is like you. That is like you. Go, Look, I don't I don't want to go out with you, but I've got a friend. <laughs> she she she's really smart. You can have you know you can have Maxwell Cordy. Although no, I wouldn't because he's turning out to be a really good fullback. He's basically suffering the same way Cuadrado is because he you know yeah he, not, he's not a, good enough to be a winger, not defensive enough to be a fullback. Yeah, but he's good as a fullback. That's that's the thing. They're actually better as fullbacks oh, than, God. than they are as wingers. That's like 
people were abusing Cordier for not scoring, and then uh, Garcia reverted him over to becoming a fullback because of injuries. And now everyone's like, play Cordier as a fullback. So we'll see, you know. You know, Arsenal has a few big games coming up. Lyon as well. We might just throw in that they actually beat Juventus 1-0 and dominated them, and the only one who guessed that was, was me. Even Leon fans were like, please don't humiliate us. And I'm like, please. Leon is going to win. And they're going to dominate from start to finish. Which they did. They even booked Ronaldo and Dybala for a dive. One, one of these days I'm going to be able to go on a pod and sound as competent as that. One day. One day. Rem- remember when you had me off with the Monaco game? Yep. The, like, the game was played on my birthday as well. I was flying home from Milan, uh, and then I remember turning on my phone after flight mode, and the, literally the first message I read was from you, and you were like, F- <laughs> you are right. <laughs> and then just like the hurl of abuse, like the death threats I received. Not from you, me. No, not from you, but like you would you would think that I was controlling the game. Literally that I, I genuinely think that people believe that sometimes because I just you know made I just made, you know, an assumption on okay, I think they might win. And they might dominate. I didn't think that they would, you know, totally crush Arsenal the way they did. Well, if you want to see some of those death threats, or indeed, you know, add a couple of your own just for posterity, you can follow Lana at at Cocolito, which is at C-O-C-O-L-I-T-O-O-O, all lowercase. Lana. Guess, guess who it's called up after? Taliso? Yes. Ah, see? I'm not just a pretty face. No, you're not. You have a very smart brain as well. Well, that's, that's my ringtone now for the next week. <laughs> Lana Dowd, thanks for joining us. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you. And we will talk to you next week, listener. Good luck. <laughs>